On this episode of I'm Not Selling You Anything, we're gonna be running with the MedTech theme for the second week in a row. So back in March, I was in New York for sales breaks and I stopped by my friend Mike McGurk's apartment in Brooklyn. I got to meet his son, we talk life, we talk sales, and as I was finishing my LaCroix seltzer, this is Williamsburg after all, I came to realize that there are lots of parallels between high-end med sales and high-tech SaaS. Well, the show's either getting really popular, I'm becoming a better host, or Mike was just bored because it didn't take much convincing, and he delivered a great episode. It's a pleasure to bring you my conversation with my friend, Mike McGurk. Meet Yuki. Yuki's the VP of sales at a company that recently IPO'd. Lately, Yuki's starting to lose a lot more deals to competitors with similar, if not worse, product. Why is that? It's because Yuki's company doesn't give customers options when it comes to buying. There's no self-checkout, no partial sales assist. It's one way only. Talk to sales whenever they have the time to get back to you. And it's 2022. If you're not giving customers the option to start spending their money with you immediately when they're on your website, you're going to continue to lose to the companies that do. Stop the bleeding. Buy Sales Bricks. Mike, welcome to Sales Bricks Studio South here in Austin, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Brian, man. Nice, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's great to see you. Good to see you, too. You want to jump into it? Let's do it. All right, let's go. What do you do with Delta Medical and how'd you get there? So Delta Medical, we are a channel partner for Siemens, uh, Siemens Imaging, MRI, CT, X-ray, the whole lot. I manage a team of 10 in the Northeast. We focus on the more creative markets, right? More competitive markets or products that Siemens traditionally hasn't sold to, customers that they traditionally haven't sold to. We call it the white space. So we focus on the white space. And I got here by way of some friends at Penn State who you know who got me into medical sales at Stryker. I was selling plates and screws into the OR, working 70 hours a week with, with no life. It wasn't really sales, right? It was covering cases, account management. And then uh, a recruiter found me, uh, had me you know, interview for the role. I didn't think I wanted it before I went to the interview. My girlfriend at the time, now my wife, made me go. And I've been here almost eight years. How many years? Almost eight. Eight. It's, I feel like you were at Stryker so recently. Like it's eight years has flown by. That's two Penn State universities. Two Penn. Well, unless you took five years, like most of us. But yeah, two, two, eight. Most two, of. Two I didn't have enough money to do five years. <laughs> I had four. Like my financial aid was like four years, and if you don't get it done, then I don't know what to tell you. But that that that's how I did it. I didn't now, think I was ever going to pay off student loans until I got into sales. When did you finish paying off your student loans? I think I was like 32, so like four years ago. Congratulations. It's an exciting day when you're actually able to pay off everything. I got into software sales, but Lingo, we did pretty well, reached some goals, and there was a chunk of money there. And I was like, I think the right thing to do would be to just pay off my student loans. And I did. And to get that notification of not having to pay anymore was really liberating. So that's really, really cool. Mike, I wanted to go back to one thing that you mentioned. So you call it white space. White I've heard white space. I've heard greenfield. Why were you a good fit? And why have you done well in these spaces that traditionally Siemens didn't go after, Delta Medical didn't go after? Is it something that in your personality that makes you successful in this kind of role? 
I think it was a little bit of both. I think at first it's inexperienced to the market. A lot of companies hire retreads and that's sales across the board, right? They want somebody with experience within that industry. And people that are already within that industry have either burned bridges at certain customers or they don't, they know that, oh, I can't sell this one product because my company doesn't do it that well. Well, if you hire, you know, younger, influenceable sales talent, they don't have that history. They don't have that bias and they just want to knock on doors and sell anything that they can. What do you think is the most challenging part of selling medical devices? So with medical, right, it's very technical in a, a lot of new reps or even experienced reps get stuck selling off of like the data sheets. Oh, well, their, their system does this and ours doesn't. And our system does that and it's better. That's why it's more expensive. Feature dumping. Yeah. And it's just, that's not sales, right? Anybody, especially nowadays, can go online, find the information. Most of the time, buyers are relatively educated, but they don't know what problems they have and they don't know what solutions you have for their problems outside of just the widget. So the hardest part is to find the customer's problems and solve the problems that aren't necessarily directly related. There's all these other moving pieces, whether it's installation or construction or politics within organizations. There's all these other hurdles that they might know about that don't tell you. They've just been tasked to buy this product, buy the best product at the best price and install it. Well, if you solve problems for them, then price kind of goes out the window. Okay. I like that price going out the window thing. I guess what you're saying is there is no price sensitivity. It's like timing. And are you helping me get the job done? Because so many products fix the same problem. And it is a matter of bandwidth for the buyer. The buyer's primary job is oftentimes not to buy. They just need to get it done as quickly as possible for the product that is good enough. Andy Paul, in my previous episode, said it was a satisfice. So it's satisfaction and it's a vice. It's just an amalgamation of those two words. It's the satisfice decision. Is that what you feel in medical sales as well? Exactly. I mean, a lot of folks that we're dealing with run an entire radiology department or an entire entrepreneurial business, right? The outpatient imaging centers that you go to get an MRI at that's not in the hospital. And their job is to run the business or to run the department, hiring, firing the day-to-day. They buy equipment once every five years, once every 10 years. Like you said, it's not their main job to buy equipment. So if you can kind of tie the whole process up in a bow, drag them across the finish line with you, then certain things like products, deficiencies or even you know product pros like your product's better that goes out the window and a little bit of price you could justify in different rois however you want to slice it numbers and numbers but doing their job for them almost and saying this is the right way to do it this is how we're going to help you this is how we're going to install it this is how we're going to get you up and running in two years from now you're going to be golden that's what they want to hear because then they don't have to deal with it They don't have to deal with it again. This is, it's just the, the parallels to software sales there. I mean, sales is sales. And I had this conversation with you and it was what got me to say, why you need to come on the podcast because the conversation we had in your beautiful apartment in Brooklyn, talking about how 
it is that consultative fix this problem that I have. They don't even know it's a problem sometimes, Brian, but they do, they have an end goal. Their end goal is to get the product in. How that happens, they don't really care. They just want it to get done. So if you can frame the story to their business or their need, then they're going to go with you, even if you're a little bit higher, a little bit lower, your technology is a little bit better or a little bit worse. They're going to buy from Brian because he's going to solve their problems. And the product becomes secondary because the product wouldn't exist if it doesn't do the job, right? It wouldn't be approved by the hospitals or by the tech world if it didn't do the job. Right. Now, Mike, what do you bring to the table that is unique? Are you the buttoned up? tie what do you bring to the table that's different i think a shirt and tie is a red flag that you're trying to sell something i think you know business casual approach match what the customer is going to be wearing if i'm meeting with c-level in a big institution they're going to be in a shirt and tie so i will be also if you're meeting with entrepreneurs or surgeons that are wearing scrubs like you kind of want to match their appearance so i do a pretty good job at that i think that's just part of being you know, a younger generation of sales rep mixed with being in and around New York and right. kind of understanding that there's different fashions that are acceptable. But I think more importantly is, is the questions that you ask these customers. You know, I keep going back to, they don't understand some of the problems that they have or some of the problems that are coming. So how would they know how to solve those problems if they don't even know they exist? So we always tell new reps, and it's all about asking the right questions at the right times. And I have, I have young reps that will say, oh, well, you know, who should I talk to to find out what those questions are? Well, every situation is different, right? Every customer is different. Every problem is different. You have to listen to what they're saying, understand what they're trying to do, and ask enough questions to get more information so that you can then start solving their problems. And that's what I think I do well. I think that's what my team does very well. And that's what we try to train is you're going to talk to this customer 200 times between now and when that system installs. Right. You don't need to sell them the product in five minutes. Let's ask them what their problems are, what their challenges are. And just start solving stuff one by one. I love that because it is kind of what we do here at SalesBricks. Buyer tendencies have changed. They don't want that hard sell. At least the majority of people don't want a hard sell. How does that, as a leader of sales folks, how does that translate? Because what you're saying is you're going to have 200, you know, maybe that's an exaggeration. How can you tell someone that says, here's a number you got to get to, but remember, you might have to talk to this person 15, 20, 40 times before a PO is signed, and then you still have to deliver and make sure that they're happy with it, right? How do you get that across to them? It's amazing because, you know, I manage a team of, of 10 and you see a light bulb go off after a year or 18 months or whatever it is where they gain an understanding of, okay, I had five conversations and they're interested in the product and they're telling me that they like my product better. Why aren't they giving me the order? Well, because there's all these other things going on that you don't know about because you haven't asked the question. You're dealing with one person. One person is never making the decision. It's a group of people with different ideas, opinions, agendas. It's probably the hardest part of management is to get that through to a new rep or a young rep that's like, well, we've done five presentations and the radiology team really wants to go with us. So it's like, 
okay, well, where's the order? Well, I have no idea. It has to go through right. 10 different signatures. Those buying decisions happen when the salesperson is not in the room. Exactly. They're not in the exactly. room. A lot of it is out of your control. And you said after a year or so, a light bulb that goes off and they either just really get it or they get that first sale and understand this is kind of the game that we have to play. Mike, what is some really bad advice that you've heard over the years in your career? We do a lot of on-site demos and I've been told all the time to go last and you're in their mind fresh because they're not making a decision for two or three I've heard months. this as well, yeah. I hate going last because people are in there, they have opinions, doctors have already seen one or two presentations and they're like, oh, it's another widget, whatever. We're good with the first widget that we saw. I like going first setting the precedent, setting the benchmark, being confident that me and my team are going to deliver. You can, you, now, if you go first, you need to understand what the challenge is, right? You need to know what you're up against to want to go first, because then you could lay landmines for the other competitors, or you can come in and just show that you're going to provide more solutions for them. And then you're in their mind the whole time, right? And if you go last, then that kind of gives them oh, let's go back to this other vendor because Mike said he's going to do X, Y, and Z. Let's see if that other vendor is going to do it. Where if you set the landmines early, they ask them that in the live presentation and they don't have a response to it. And then they don't get a second chance. But if you go last, you give them a second chance, in my opinion. It's funny. Now we're going all the way back to my previous career in real estate. I always wanted to show the apartment that I really wanted them to take at the very end. Because at the end of like three, four hours, this is very different. Three, four hours walking around in the, in the hot New York City summer. <laughs> this one's great. This was incredible. I gotta get to. I gotta get. I gotta get out of here. Let me just get the the paperwork. So I always like going and putting the my top uh, listings last. And I always thought moving into software sales that I would want to have a conversation, a demo later on in the day. And hearing you say the first is a better play for the reasons that you outlined. I mean, that makes total sense. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for that one. Mike, what is the best purchase that you've made recently under $100? I think this one will hit your heart a little bit because I know you're a big coffee guy, like true coffee, drip coffee, right? In the mountains of Colombia. <laughs> See, I'm a, I'm a function over fashion guy. So I started drinking like espresso because I didn't want a full coffee and, you know, I'm not spending, Efficient. Five I'm not spending five bucks on a latte every day. So I bought the, the cheapest Nespresso for a hundred bucks and it's 85 cents a day for a shot of espresso. Now. Well, that's actually a really good purchase. It's under, it's about a hundred dollars to get yourself. Right espresso. Okay. And it's and saving me a ton. Mike, what failure in your past has set you up for success later on in life? I actually asked this when I interviewed, you can't all be positive, right? There's, there's gotta be some reasons to get you here. And, you know, I hire people that have grit and to have grit. You gotta have some failures. So when I was at Stryker, I was more of an account manager mm -hmm. working under a lot of experienced reps and young, smart kid from Penn state that thought that I was working as hard or harder than them. And that I could push back a little bit and, you have to earn your keep, right? And that's in any role. And I wasn't selling anything. I was just managing territories. And I got involved with corporate politics and pushed back on the wrong places and complained about working long hours or weekends. And that will never get you anywhere. If you feel like 
you're being wrong, then there are conversations you should have with superiors or your coach or whatever you want to call your mentor. But pushing back, saying no, letting the customer hear my frustration, it really set me off to maybe I'm not good enough for the corporate world in New York and maybe I can't hack it. And so I learned a lot from that. I learned how to deal with internal politics. I learned how to deal with superiors. I learned how to deal with management that might be micromanaging you. I hate being micromanaged, but I understand it in the world of data and forecasting and dealing with publicly traded companies. So I understand it a lot more now. I didn't understand it as much then. Mike, you live to fight another day and you've lived to answer another question. Why are we still friends, man? This has been a long time. I don't know, man. Me and you are very different outside of kind of the sales role. I think we have set similar life paths, right? Penn State, New York. You were kind of like our shepherd in New York when we first got there because you had been there for a few years. And, you know, outside of all of the chaos, the partying and the bars, I think me and you, whether it was once a month or once a year, kind of always had that one conversation that was like a grounded reality. How's life? What are you doing? And you could tell we were a little bit like on the same wavelength with kind of the way we thought. I, I call it like getting it, right? Some people get it. Some people don't. I think me and you both get it. And in now we have, you're doing a podcast about sales and I'm in sales. We have similar careers, similar ideas, similar goals. And to add to that, the first year that I lived in Austin, Texas, I remember there was conversations of you having a, a gathering, whether it be in Austin or another town. And I was pushing for Austin and you made the Austin call. And it was one of my favorite times having you and all of our, our, our friends from New York come down to Austin, Texas, right when I just moved here. And it really set me off well. I know I wore this shirt on the Saturday boat day and you took it from me and you wore it all day and you, you left us with, with this one right here, right? That's and that me. is Mike holding up the Stanley Cup trophy with a small child on top of it. Yeah, it was my dad'sler party, not a bachelor party, a dadsler party. Dadsler party. Mike, where do you like to keep up to date on industry news? I get reoccurring emails from Beckers. They're pretty tight within the hospital community, you know, things that are going on outside of hospitals, inside of hospitals with regards to the business and colleagues, right? I manage a team of 10. So they're out on the street every day, gaining information and mostly customers. Do you have any plans for social? Where could I find anything about kind of what Delta Medical or Siemens or just the, you know, that, that industry as a whole. I'm big on LinkedIn. It's mostly to find talent, to grow the team. Obviously all the big companies, Siemens, GE, Phillips push out a bunch of marketing on LinkedIn, right? The actual users, physicians, there's some of them that are starting to pop up on Twitter, talking about what they're doing day to day and promoting themselves, but it's not a huge social media industry. It's still a lot of brick and mortar, door-to-door, face-to-face, uh, customer dinners, that type of sale. Gotcha. And I think part of the reason is, is when you're in the facility and do the walkthrough and get to know more than just the two people that they're going to be on the Microsoft Teams call and understand the facility and the workflow, I think that helps with the deal. So I hope, even as much as I love technology and social, I hope it stays that way because, you know. I like to meet people face to face. Do you think that has something to do with the fact that the people that you are selling to literally IRL everything, they're meeting people in real life in their job. So they would also want to meet the sales folks that they have to procure things from. 
in real life? Yeah, I mean, medical clinical staff is one of the few positions that hasn't been able to go remote. You have to be on site. So they're on site. They expect us to come on site. Problems get solved with people on site. And like I said, it's going to stay that way because healthcare is done in person. Got it. Mike, who do you think we should interview next? Anybody but Gino. Okay, that's, that, that's a good answer. That works. Mike, we have arrived at the final question. And it also happens to be everyone's favorite question. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, I'm paying for it. What would it say and why? We'll pull a hockey quote. You missed 100% of the shots that you don't take. So go for it. That's good old Wayne Gretzky. Mike says, you just got to let it rip. You kind of got to go for it. I think that's why you and I also have remained friends for a while. We are willing to try different things. We are kind and we let it rip in professional life and personal life, man. You are the first really longtime friend that I've had come on the podcast. Hopefully it's a domino effect and we get some more colorful characters because you know we both know a bunch of them. Mike, thank you so much. I will see you very soon in New York. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Good luck, man. Hey, hey, we made it. That wasn't so bad, was it? Mike's an impressive sales leader, and I don't need to tell you that because if you made it to the outro, then you realize that all by yourself. Thank you so much to our listeners, and don't forget to follow us on socials. Tune in next week when we interview a Tesla. All right, see you later.